0: Welcome to the next episode of the podcast on negotiation and uh, today we have a very special guest and a very important topic. Uh, Our guest is Professor Will Baber from Kyoto University. Will, it's great to have you with us.
1: Thank you for inviting me. I'm I'm delighted to talk about this and uh, hear your questions and comments.
0: (laughs) Yes, thank you. Uh, Thank you for agreeing to speak uh, speak to our viewers, to our listeners, uh, and the topic will be negotiating in teams. Uh, Why we decided to choose this topic is actually quite obvious, because um, in addition to all these uh, countless instances, when we negotiate for ourselves on behalf of ourselves individually, uh, many complex business, diplomatic, political deals uh, are negotiated in teams. And uh, the question is, uh, what is the optimal team setup? Does it make sense? What are advantages, disadvantages, and so on and so on? And these are the aspects that we will speak uh, um, uh, speak about today. Well, but before we do so, would you like would you like to say a few words about yourself?
1: Uh, okay, I'll I'll try to be very brief. Though <laughs> um, I teach in Kyoto University in the Graduate School of Management, and one of my topics is negotiation. Uh, this is a, uh, a topic that I first came to uh, about uh, 2010 and uh, was, was not, uh, didn't know anything really much about it until that time and then immediately uh, was bitten by the bug and uh, have been very involved with it since then. One of the first things that I did was go to the negotiation challenge in 2011 in Leipzig and where I met Remy where I met you and uh, all the other good uh, people, faculty and researchers around that. Um, So I've continued uh, teaching and researching that it's my main topic in in, uh, in terms of teaching and
0: content. Thank you Will it's great to have you with us oh I didn't Wow, well, I didn't I didn't know that we've known each other for over 10 years now um, yeah. so, <laughs> but it's been a great uh, a great journey and uh, very much which I very much enjoyed Will uh, so thank you for sticking around for so long um so uh, when we um when we compare individual negotiations with team negotiations which which ones uh, which which of them are more often do we negotiate more often individually or in teams what do you think
1: yeah this is a good question because it it, uh, brings up why we care about teams so generally when you're when we're um, negotiating with an organization representing an organization we're mostly working in teams Uh, when we are uh, negotiating uh, for ourselves inside of your own organization it's very often alone or one-to-one with you and another manager Um, and, and these kind of uh uh kind of day-to-day interactions that are that are negotiations but not so formal they're often one person and one person um where we wind up in teams mostly is uh uh representing our organizations and in those situations we'll often be in two uh, numbers like two to six or seven after that uh teams are At least as far as I can observe, teams are usually not much bigger than that. Um, And the reason is that they become cumbersome to deal with. However, um, we should remember that in some cultures, the size of the team that you bring indicates the seriousness that you're bringing. And it also is a bit competitive. So uh, the home team might uh, uh, seed in people, that are not really at all involved in the negotiation, just to have more people at the conference room table. So this is something we, we find um, in, you know, in some cultures, especially uh, where I live here in East Asia, it's not uncommon to, to find in, mm-hmm.
0: inflation
1: in the number of team members.
0: Yes. So when we compare, uh, will um, uh, so representation is one of the situations when we typically uh, typically add uh, uh, further individuals to uh, to our teams. Uh, what are when else does it make sense to increase the the number of participants uh, when it uh, when it comes to negotiating in business, politics, diplomacy?
1: Yeah, a key issue here is is complexity. So we need to think about. Um, um, complexity and specialization. So if there are technical issues, uh, whether they are uh, you know technical issues, I mean around could be around technology in a research and development negotiation, or they could be around um, uh, numbers and types of uh, equipment, if it's an arms reduction negotiation, or if it's a trade uh, negotiation, it could be, you know, the number and volume of certain kinds of fruits and vegetables and, and uh, equipment or something. So the um, complexity is an issue here. And in those cases, you will need, logically, you'll need more specialists who are able to focus on the technical matter. And um, that's, uh, so that's going to to dictate some of it. Very often, we have some standard um members especially in a business negotiation and that might be might include a legal counsel and um uh maybe production uh, managers or something like that or product managers again those are specialists they're there because they know the ins and outs of that uh, activity
0: So um Go we ahead. have representation complexity uh, which uh, which calls for specialists as uh, as team as potential team members so um which means that there is a there is an advantage and value in uh, increasing the team size to incorporate the knowledge that an individual negotiators uh, negotiate that individual negotiators cannot uh, cannot have but what are the disadvantage or what are other advantages and maybe disadvantages yep. of of uh, of having, uh, having a team instead of individual negotiators at the negotiating table.
1: Okay, so one of the other advantages that we really have to uh, uh, think about that's very important is that the team members can share their uh, knowledge and their experience uh, leading up to this, leading up to that negotiation. So negotiation is um, one of those activities that we get better and better at the more we do it so the people with uh, greater frequency of negotiation events in their work day or or their lives and inevitably the people who are a little bit older um have more um more knowledge and therefore they can share more so if you bring in those people uh, you're able to uh, improve the quality and ability of your whole team. So a team is kind of like a, uh, a, a, creates a virtual cycle inside of itself just by existing. And if you can have the same team through multiple uh, uh, negotiations, um, I believe that you get more um, benefits of this sort because that team is going to be comfortable with each other with the, the members will be comfortable with each other. They will know how they interact well, and they may develop their own chemistry and ability to uh, organize themselves. Uh, so these are at least some of the uh, some of the key advantages here. Um,
0: Peter Peter Kesting, my my uh, our mutual friend, uh, Peter Kesting, and I we wrote a paper about. Uh, about a routine and negotiation so with repetitions you know having uh, having the same participants on the team and negotiation partner we developed something which we called the routine with respect to the substance yeah, and with respect to the people involved so that's probably is that what you what you, what you meant uh,
1: yes that um, that is what I meant but they also um, so so that kind of routine among the uh, team members is is going to be very important. They're also going to uh, gain some uh, specific skills. So um, you and I have similar feelings about negotiation, that it is um, something that is built on multiple skills, and, some, and those skills can be taught and uh, shared and explained and improved and so on. So uh, that's something that is also going to um, improve within the team as they continue on through multiple negotiations. So they will know the mechanics of preparation. They'll know the uh, mechanics of 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 really difficult kind of things like timing. Um, you know, that's that's something that is intuitive and very difficult to pin down, but they'll become better at it. And then they will also know their, um, as you said, the routines that um, that they take into the interactions or, or the work that they do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, is there an, uh, um, So now we're thinking, you know, the more the better, right? Because the more routine, the more, uh, the more expertise, the more experience, right? Uh, yeah. It almost sounds that that uh, that negotiating teams uh, should be infinitely large, right? But uh, yeah, there definitely, is problem... definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. So, um, uh, what is is there an ideal team size? When does it kip? When does the coordination effort uh, become too um, uh, too complex?
1: Well, well, there is no uh, clear research on this question. Um, so we know from you know, other research that um, uh, there, there is a uh, for uh, language training, for example, there is a an ideal size, which is interestingly is five people because it, it turns out that that is the size group that can keep a conversation going and developing longer than three or four people without getting confused and breaking up into smaller groups when you have six or seven. So unfortunately, we don't know this about negotiation teams. Um, there, there are huge teams um, that are documented and a classic example of this would be trade negotiations, which I already mentioned can be very, very complicated. And you would have uh, sub teams for certain for for all the imaginable categories of products and services that two countries might want to uh, exchange Um, so in the case of of, uh, multiple countries organizing a a large group uh, trade agreement um, each country might bring you know 50 or more people to the event and so the, the you know the the total number of people negotiating uh can be very big and the conference rooms can have large numbers of people or relatively small specialist groups uh, but yeah they, those teams then can can be 50 up to 100 even people at the very top they're still likely to have an overall coordinator a lead negotiator uh, usually is, is how the news media refer to that person or chief negotiator, um, Mm -hmm. who is, has to have some overview and then there will be some kind of sub teams. And, uh, I, this is obviously going to be very cumbersome. Um, getting down to the ideal level actually in the room on any given topic, uh, here we have no guidance and no um, data and no research. Um, my, my gut feeling is that more than five or six is probably not uh, going to add much value. And if you do have more than that, you might consider uh, taking some of the special topics and working on them separately so that there is a, uh, um, a smaller group talking at any given time. Now, a there are, as I say, there's no really well-developed data, but there are um, cases that are well-described in in uh, the literature and in uh, news media and so on and so forth. And one that I really like putting in front of my students is the negotiation in which Microsoft acquired the cell phone business of Nokia. So this is from approximately 2011 and the nokia um, ceo um, uh, a gentleman named silasma uh, wrote a book about it and it's it's very readable fantastically interesting and what they did was they after their first contact and they had some larger groups and didn't uh had some difficulty communicating they switched to a four I get my fingers on the camera four by four uh, system where one of pair was the CEOs the next pair were the legal counsel the next pair were the finance CFO and the next pair was um, I, I think a operations generalist or something you know so that brought it down to Um, a group that was uh, very manageable and the interactions weren't too complicated and the logistics of it were not, not too difficult. So, you know, we have to also think about practicalities of moving seven or 10 or 15 people um, from one city to another, you know, (laughs) it gets expensive.
0: Yes that's true. So you've mentioned uh, well you've mentioned uh, lead negotiators and I know uh, I know that you've uh, spent uh, a lot of time thinking about uh, different negotiation different positions and roles uh, that individuals can assume within uh, within teams. Uh, could you could you briefly share what kind of roles those are what kind of positions uh, what kind of positions uh, are there uh, in, in negotiation teams? And maybe, you know, with, uh, with, a, with a few words of explanation, what those positions are responsible, uh, general responsible. OK,
1: for. yeah. So um, number one is, uh, or at, at least the, the, my number one, top of the list, I guess, is the lead negotiator. And we, we've mentioned that. So lead negotiators are responsible for uh, basically everything. And that means that they are going to um, uh, they're they're in charge of or they have to be uh, ready to coordinate the preparation. So the preparation phase before the actual talking and communication uh, can be very long. Um, You know, it can be weeks, months or even year or something like that and the lead negotiator has to have the overall sense of what do we need to know and who in my organization can find that and, and organize the information, or do I have to hire a consultant or something? So the lead negotiator then delegates the people, divides up the work, um, coordinates what they're going to do and learn and how to uh, display it and, and analyze it. and additionally the um that lead negotiator is a little bit like a classic project manager they have to uh, manage the stakeholders they have to communicate with the final decision makers Um, they may have a public face they may be uh, required to deal with the um, uh, with the press or something like that public media Um, they may be um uh working on on uh, they, they will have to understand special issues like you know what are the batnas involved what is for uh for our side and for the other side um they may coordinate or they should coordinate the image management and e- even that is likely to happen on the level of the organization the level of the team and the individual level and striking the right image at the right time, these are responsibilities of the lead negotiator. So that's a lot. <laughs>
0: that's, uh, that's, that's a lot. I'm sure uh, he or she needs uh, a lot more help from, uh, from other roles, I suppose, right?
1: Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll drop some of those in the chat line, as, uh, as um, just so there's a little document about it. Um, this is one of the things that I like about uh, online uh, conversations and podcasts, is you can use the chat line to reinforce what, you, <laughs> what you're saying. Um, so in this list is spokesperson. So the, the, one of the things that the uh, lead negotiator might easily delegate is the actual direct communication in the meetings with the other parties. So the lead negotiator doesn't actually have to say and do everything. They can hand the, this job where one person is the primary um, speaker and therefore proposes things and reacts to offers from the other side. Um, so the spokesperson should be able to um, communicate well, uh, face-to-face, should be able to improvise and should not be uncomfortable with sudden new information and this sort of thing and the spokesperson uh uh has the using a spokesperson has the advantage that there is no crosstalk or confusion or contradiction happening inside the team so it's a question of um, you know it's partly a question of discipline the specialist will not speak directly to the other side it all goes through the spokesperson and i've seen this done in classrooms and at the uh, negotiation competition at, at the negotiation challenge and some of those teams have won um, and that is because they were they use the spokesperson to keep a very clear Uh, style of communication and have no contradictions or confusion Mm -hmm. so that that's the spokesperson then Um, the uh other one that we've already mentioned then are specialists and and team members so i usually think of team members as being specialists like you'll have your legal specialist or the finance person or A technical person, um, an IT person, or electronics person, whatever. Um, But they could also be a generalist who's very good at uh, um, operations of the company or good at bringing together different parts of the negotiation. So team members could be specialists or they could be generalists. But they're they're the team who is populating the table. So you know we might have you know your your lead negotiator in the room, maybe using a spokesperson, and a couple of uh, two, three, four team member specialists, generalists there. And that's kind of what we think of as the the basic team. Mm -hmm. But there's more. (laughs) There's more. There's more, yeah. So the next one that I've already mentioned is the final decision maker, which could be one person or a group of people. And the final decision maker is uh, very often or maybe usually not in the uh, negotiations. Unless well, some sometimes they they do come in with the interesting results. So um, the final decision maker is usually the strategic level person. Above the lead negotiator in the organization who has the authority and the right to say yes or no ultimately. And so typically in a large organization, it'll be the CEO. And in a smaller, smaller organization, it could be further down the chain of command. And in the case of, um, in, in many cases, it'll be more than one person. It could be the whole board of directors. Mm -hmm. If it's a labor management negotiation, then the whole union is the final decision maker. So you know that could mean a, a body of some thousands of people that will vote to uh, agree or not agree with the uh, with what the lead negotiator brings to them. So th- this final decision maker is, uh, you know, it's very interesting. That's that's a high power position. Usually does not participate directly in the talks, and we have some examples of big failures when they do. Um, sometimes egos become important or you know they, they want to uh improve the deal at the last minute and everything fails or they maybe make a big mistake and a, a classic example of this might be the Hewlett Packard acquisition of autonomy uh which was uh, 2011 or so this is um uh, that final deal and agreement was done between the two the, the purchasing ceo and the buying uh, and, and the selling ceo uh the, the purchaser was leo apoteker formerly of sap and um, it was done in a uh in a boutique hotel in the countryside in france and uh the the selling side was uh, able to get an extremely good deal which fell apart um ultimately it was a big catastrophe for hp so Final decision-makers have a, um, a a very important role in final agreement and ultimately ratifying. Um, usually they're not directly involved in the talks.
0: Mm-hmm. So all these roles, with all these roles that you mentioned uh, and, and shared, uh, how do you, uh, when you, for example, send your teams to, uh, to negotiation competitions, which are typically conducted in um, Uh, In teams, yeah, between teams, not individuals. Yes, how do you assign, or how do we, how shall we assign these roles to um, to individual negotiators? Uh, Is there a procedure? Is there a uh, uh, an algorithm that sort of, uh, um, uh, or or prerequisites that uh, uh, that a person needs to fulfill in order to be suitable for a particular role? How does it work?
1: Well, this is a really nice question, and definitely something to uh, to dig into um which is a way of saying that I I don't have an answer for it um and I love the idea of being able to figure out a a sensible algorithm for it um so we we have to think of a a, uh, think of a couple things here though in most organizations are not sophisticated about negotiating And as your previous uh, guest on the podcast, uh, Francesco Marchi said, uh, there's very few that are mature in their capacity and their ability to negotiate well and retain the skills and and repeat and and get good results. So um, unfortunately, in in my experience, um, and it would be quite nice to look into other cases for this, the lead negotiator very often has no say it's this is just given to them ad hoc by the boss and the boss says go do this and take take sally and fred with you and do it (laughs) and the boss doesn't know much about how it's going to be done Uh, so there you are um you're responsible and you've got fred who's a nice guy but doesn't have all the skills you want, and you've got Sally, and what are you gonna do? Um, So in the ideal situation, the lead negotiator is aware of who is capable in the organization um, and has uh, an understanding of where the skills are and who's got what abilities and knows those people and maybe has worked with them before So that lead negotiator also ideally has the freedom to go and select the team. And this would be the best situation. Then they could uh, decide based on um, some personality issues, uh, um, skills, and uh, appropriate uh, content background. And that would, um, you know, we, we can, In deciding who should go on to a team, the uh, lead negotiator would ideally um, also be able to think about, um, would have an easy way to think about those personalities. So one of the things that I do with, uh, um, teach my students is the, uh, comes from Lee Thompson's book, The Mind and Heart of a Negotiator. Uh, And she proposes a uh, emotional style based on a questionnaire that uh, evaluates you based on your rationality, positiveness, and negativeness. And all three of those are quite important um, uh, aspects of your personality that you ideally can switch on and off at the right time. So negative is not a bad thing Uh, in in that scheme. It's um, the ability to uh, be able to say no and to make fine adjustments and do some distributive thinking. And uh, we don't always want to be positive all the time. That can lead us into happy mistakes. (laughs) Um, So this is a, a kind of heuristic tool that I teach my students about teams and team management. And one that they can become um in the you know over a few sessions they can become pretty comfortable with so after i introduce it to them you you say you know assess yourself and try to work to your strengths and and uh and be aware of when you might make mistakes and now think about your team member left and right of you and then ultimately what's what is your feeling about the person on the other side of the table on this kind of scheme. Uh, so that's part of uh, team management that you know, ideally we can think about. We know the styles and we can assess them of your teammates and then also the people across the table from you. So yeah, this, this definitely means that the, uh, a good negotiator has uh a lot of different skills and tools and gets better and better at them
0: mm-hmm. over time i was wondering well uh what's your opinion about uh, about like uh, the connection between uh, between the between the assignment of roles and the t- and team performance yes uh, let me give you a a, a a little bit more of a background to uh, uh to, to to what i mean we noticed uh, we've noticed uh, during the negotiation challenge during our negotiation competitions uh, that teams typically that perform well are uh, cover a wide spectrum of of um, negotiations uh, negotiation trades. Yes. Uh, so, for example, you know there is a fair deal of empathy that must be present at the table. There is um, a fair deal of uh, analytics that must be uh, that must be covered there, and there is also a fair deal of eloquence communication skills slash rhetorics uh, that has to be represented. How is, uh, how do you, how do, how would you, first of all, how do you see this and uh, what would be the connection between the skills and roles that, uh, uh, that we've just discussed?
1: Well, this is, this is quite a good question. So um, in the end, the, the, a good lead negotiator has all of this so they've got the the right combination of the uh of the three that you mentioned and they also have some of the uh uh, uh, the big five personality now we talk about the the six the hexagon Uh, one of them is you know openness and curiosity um and your 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 um, lead negotiator needs to have as much of all of these as possible the good negotiators generally I'm willing to say have a lot of curiosity and they also have the rhetorical ability rhetorical meaning the, the 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 speaking ability and motivation to ask question after question after question after question so This, I'm convinced, is um, this is also part of personality. And unfortunately, I don't have this as much as I would like to. Um, The negotiators that I've seen, um, whether students or or, uh, in real life, the ones who are following up with another question and another question and another question are the ones who really develop the information and therefore they develop the the opportunities to uh find solutions and to create new value and bring more into the negotiation Mm -hmm. Uh, so if there was any one thing that i would want most of all it would be that rhetorical ability to to uh to ask narrow questions at the right time and open questions at the right time and to continually bring that information out
0: so let us continue with asking practicing asking questions. <laughs> so, how does uh, um, uh, let's pick a little bit on on the role of the of the of the, of the lead negotiator, which we've uh, we've um, uh, mentioned uh, quite extensively. Yeah? Um, I was thinking, uh, in terms of leadership of a negotiating team, yes? uh, how does this. How does this work right lead negotiator does not only have the responsibility of leading the negotiation itself yeah but also has to somehow lead the team and yeah, that's negotiating pract- practically on the same 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 part same side of the negotiation table yeah how does leadership work in negotiating teams yeah
1: um leadership here has to work um so the, 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 the lead negotiator should be able to do all or almost all of these many, many tasks, um, it has to at least know that they exist and what they are. Uh, but the lead negotiator can delegate as much as they uh, quite a lot, nearly all of it to the people on the team, if they have the skills. And if there's time, you know, the lead negotiator can train them appropriately. Um, so this means that the lead negotiator can take some of the uh, uh, leadership styles that we know about from, from leadership uh, 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 research. And that means they can take a, a servant leadership uh, point of view where they are uh, supporting the team by taking away the obstacles that the team might face uh they can take uh, on a transformative leader kind of uh approach where they are um, nurturing and building up the team members so that they become uh, better and more capable and, and so on and so forth and and other uh leadership approaches so um, when we were speaking before the podcast uh, you mentioned the um uh just old solacuse's book um the the leader as negotiator is that the right title
0: yes real leaders negotiate yes
1: real leaders negotiate yeah um so leaders are nearly constantly in some kind of negotiation with their team members and their superiors and so on um but actual negotiators uh, can take on this style of leadership that suits that person or suits the team
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so, uh, and what uh, I was uh, thank you, Will, for, for for sharing this. I was wondering also about uh, the implications of negotiating in teams on different stages of the negotiation process. So, um, let's pick on two because uh, we're probably um, uh, won't have enough time to discuss uh, discuss all of those all of those stages. Let's talk about preparation and uh, the actual information exchange, yes, during the negotiation. Yes. Um, what is easier, what is harder, what are, um, uh, what are um, uh, sort of implications of uh, having a team on, uh, in a negotiation rather than an individual negotiators?
1: Yeah, okay, so very good, good question and important thing to uh, think about. Uh, during the preparation phase, um, and, and really, I think about two preparation phases. One is the big picture phase that's very early uh, on where you're thinking about strategic issues and, and the whole value chain. And the the second uh, preparation phase is when you're designing the deal, deal design, right? So and that's uh, closer to the actual time of interacting. So in that first Early negotiation, big picture architecture, strategic thinking. Um, the lead negotiator, if they have the resources, if it's a big organization and there's time and money, you know they can they can uh, hire a whole library full of researchers, and they can get immense amount of detail. And they're uh, if and they, they may have time to uh, to go very deep into technical issues or into uh, uh cast uh, calendars out you know into the distant future for what should be done when and so on and so forth so uh if we think about kind of the biggest negotiations i i think of as trade negotiations between countries um, there would be a year of advanced time and if there are long delays there could be another year and uh, there would be a lot of resources available from a government concerned about um, how they're going to have their, what their balance of trade will look like for the coming decade or so. They're, they're going to assign lots of staff usually, and they will be high-skill people. You'll have economists and and uh, um, all kinds of specialists available to you. So at that point, in those situations, the Team that is um, not going to go to the negotiation, but is still part of the the research team and the big team in general, uh, they can be um, that can be a very big group and they can be very active and they can generate a, a, a huge amount of knowledge. So having a large team at that time makes a lot of sense. Um, when you get to the deal design and you're crafting packages of offers and you're considering the trade-offs that you're willing to give and um, what kind of uh, bargaining chips you might create in advance that you can give away, um, and this sort of thing, probably there you need a smaller group of people that are more focused and that can communicate more easily. So at that point, having 100 people would be a cumbersome problem. Uh, Having 5, 10, 15, or 20 might be much, much more practical and sensible. Mm -hmm. Then when you go to the the actual interacting with the uh, counterparties and you're exchanging information, um, we like to think of this as face-to-face at a table, but very often, of course, it's it's going by your messaging and your your email and short phone calls and so on. You know, when that starts, then we're down to the kind of team that we talked about earlier in the podcast where, you know, three to seven might be somewhere in the ideal, depending on complexity and, and the issues and so on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, so it's uh, it's probably um, you know having a team. Uh, if if I may if I may um, attempt to summarize uh, uh, what I've learned uh, today as and uh, in, in preparation for for our talk, uh, negotiating in teams in terms of preparation probably increases the complexity of the preparation and coordination process yeah, before the negotiation and at the table. Yeah? But at the same time, it makes it makes it easier during the process in terms of you know. Noticing value-generating options, or using the expertise that is necessary at the right time, streamlining the negotiation process itself, and uh, uh, and crafting uh, crafting wiser uh, wiser wiser agreements. Would you uh, would you would you agree as there, or um, uh, what is what is your opinion in terms of uh, the impact of negotiating in teams on the process and the outcome?
1: Yeah, so I I think if we have a team, we're likely to be able to avoid um, uh, mistakes. So, you know, everybody makes mistakes. And if it is a, an important strategic negotiation, they can be catastrophic. So, you know, fundamentally, the uh, mistakes were made in the Hewlett Packard autonomy negotiation. And frankly we we can we can uh i have kind of a hobby of uh, looking through the news media for negotiation errors (laughs) there's a lot of them that are on display and if you have a team that knows how to work together and then you have uh, redundancy so that if somebody makes a mistake somebody can help them correct it and you have uh, redundancy of uh, checking and uh, making sure that the the documents are in order and that the the knowledge is in order and so on Um, you know what one of the in the business world uh, one of the classic uh, uh, problems is that the negotiators have an agreement and they put it on paper and they take it to their legal counsel to finalize and the legal counsel just puts in whatever they feel like (laughs) and if it's not checked and double checked by the team it can lead to a broken relationship and bad agreements and bad surprises if nobody noticed it so teams can uh this is one of the big benefits of teams is that you know two heads are better than one sometimes four or five heads are better than that because of the ability to uh to to what's the right word redundancy and
0: resilience in uh in the interaction Thank you Will, for sharing all this you know my last question as always uh, in, uh, in, in our in all episodes has always been about great negotiators yes and I do realize that uh, that those who've attained this monic of greatness uh, that we attach uh, that we uh, that we systematically attach attach to their names, have probably gained it because of many people that were uh, supporting them on their negotiation teams. Yes. So, so But when you think about uh, great negotiators, uh, uh, who comes to your mind, Will?
1: Yeah, you know, I, um, that's a difficult question. So um, one of my answers to this w- would be, in, from the world of politics, would be uh, uh, the President Lyndon Johnson who was uh, president in the United States before Richard Nixon and Lyndon Johnson was very famous for deeply understanding the motivations of his counterparties and he could play on their uh their their fears and their concerns about their legacy about their he could play on technical issues around their their uh constituents and their voters and this sort of thing but not only that, Johnson was well known for using all kinds of, of not very nice and friendly um, uh, tricks and ploys and stratagems and so on. So he would, you know, he he was known to physically put people in an uncomfortable chair in his office. Um, <laughs> and he was known to, um, to uh, approach people in the in the restroom you know uncomfortable situations like this and he was a physically big person he would back them into a corner so what i'm saying here is that this uh, individual uh, president johnson was a very successful negotiator and he definitely accomplished some good important things for the united states it, uh, the, the civil rights uh, legislation a lot of that uh, came through him because of him Um, but he was not a person i would admire or like to be with (laughs) so in in that case he's very famous and was very successful but i wouldn't want to be around him and i do not use his approaches and in the business world my example is um definitely not steve jobs is quite famous and was quite successful And he used approaches and behaviors that I, I would reject, I would never do. Um, so the, the negotiators that I really admire are ones who are unfortunately not famous that I know from seeing them or from interviewing them. And one of these was, uh, one of my first bosses when I was working, uh, after university, he was a fantastic listener. He had the empathy. He had the rhetorical ability to uh, get information and develop information and create mutual uh, um, solutions, even in situations where the company was uh, uh, struggling to make money or where his partner, who was a totally different personality, was pressuring him, you know, maybe literally in the uh, you know, on the telephone, <laughs> he he did very well in all these really challenging situations. And another one that I like respect very much is um, is an older gentleman that I've interviewed a number of times and brought to my classrooms, who works for um, Asian Development Bank and for JICA and some other development organizations. And he has an immensely marvelous ability to present himself in a non-threatening and constructive way, even in quite difficult situations when he was, uh, for example, when he was working in, in Afghanistan and uh, there were some very serious threats around him and to his, uh, to his office and so on. Um, but he was still able to um, find the common ground and and get the conversations going and keep them going um, so yeah these are the the people and the skills that i really respect
0: well thank you so much for for your time and uh let me blend in uh williams william uh um uh, g- great to have you with us uh, williams comments uh, i've uh, uh, greatly enjoyed our conversation and i'm not sure I, i'm Hundred percent sure that I'm not—I was not the only one. So, Will, thank you so much for for sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, um, yes, negotiating in teams helps. Yes, if we know how to manage uh, how to manage them. Um, and uh, thank you so much. This was uh, an episode on managing negotiate negotiation teams uh, with Will Baber. Will, thank you. It was great to have you with us.
1: Thank you. Really enjoyed it. You're you're very good at at delivering the questions and developing the information. Thanks.
0: You're very welcome. And until next time on the podcast on negotiation, thank you so much.